Welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show that we shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are so excited today to talk about not only the best in entertainment news, but to give you a whole smattering of options at the movie theater this weekend and a, a taste of what's to come over the next couple of months. The This year 2019 is winding down. November is upon us. December is close coming. The Oscars will be after that and then we'll just be on to next year. Spoiler alert, Cole. This year is ending in a very spectacular way. There are some great films coming out and we can't wait to tell you about them. But before we get to that, we do want to give the very best in entertainment news. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. That's this week in DC News. Andy Serkis and Colin Farrell have joined the cast of The Batman. That was this week in DC News. I'm so glad I made that bumper. That is just, (laughs) I have gotten more joy and use out of that sucker than I ever could have thought possible. A long, years ago, DC was just coming out with weird and contradicting news every single week. And I thought, I thought that they would get better. I thought that they would figure things out. Nope. It's still just every week, something new. Cole, we're getting more updates on DC News than even the Academy is making changes in their rules. They've been making them left and right. That was another one of our favorite things last year. And this year, the Academy is not quite figured things out again because a big piece of news is that a film from Nigeria called Lionheart, they submitted it for Oscar consideration. It would be the first nomination for a film from Nigeria. But the best international film category turned them away because they used too much English in the film, English being, you know, Nigeria's actual official language. Sure. So I'm guessing movies like The Farewell are also not going to be eligible for this award because that movie goes back and forth between English and Chinese. And it they changed the name of the category to Best International Feature as opposed to a foreign language feature, and yet they still have these rules somewhere in the category that it must contain a certain amount of non-English dialogue. So really, it is still the foreign language feature, just by a different name. Right. So, the, okay, even though a British film is considered international, it can't be in that category because it has the English language in it. But I assume that if a British filmmaker... Um, made a film in Britain but just had a bunch of Chinese in it, then it could probably be nominated for this category? I'm predicting they're going to do a 180 on this one, Cole, when they experience the backlash. Bold prediction that the Oscars will come back on themselves. Uh, It's not that bold. Uh, Definitely. (laughs) So did you hear that James Dean is going to be in a movie again? Oh, sure. That makes sense. Oh, wait. Didn't he die 50 years ago? Yep. They're going to use CGI to insert him in a film. Film and uh, to say that there are mixed reactions is kind of an, an understatement. There's actually people are not happy about this. If Peter Cushing can be in Rogue One, then James Dean can but star he's in a movie. The star of the movie. <laughs> and apparently the family signed off on it because they're going forward with the movie. The interesting thing is you can't win because I'll be reviewing a film later on today, Doctor Sleep, that instead of using CGI with older characters, they just recast some of the people that will show up in this that were in the 1980 The Shining, and I heard people complain that they didn't CGI their faces and that the new actors were weird too. So guess what? You can't please them all, Cole. Before we get into, uh, as I said, the smattering of movie reviews that we have on the show today, I understand you have a very big announcement. We have screen cleaning news, not just entertainment world news. We're having another bracket challenge, folks. We've had a sports bracket, a Halloween movie bracket, and other brackets across the board. But this time, we're tackling the best trilogies. And right, as as we give more details on this, we do want our listeners to participate. Bob, if you're listening, we want you to participate. And uh, this is going to be different. Yeah, and uh, I'm so excited. And believe it or not, Cole and I had a difficult time whittling down the list to... 16 trilogies that we wanted to focus on. That we think are the best trilogies of movies of all time. Check out the podcast description or our website on BYURadio.org to get a link to the bracket. Fill one out for yourself and then follow the instructions. Email us uh, your pick for the winner just after you finish completing the bracket. 
So that's movies, best movies of all time on a bracket. We want to talk about some of the best movies of our time that are coming out over the next couple of weeks. When we return, we're going to have six different movie reviews for you, and we can't wait to share with you what's coming out over the next couple of weeks. And we'll do that when we return on Screen Cleaning. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ah! ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. As I mentioned, we've got a big show today, and I don't know that we've ever had this many movies to review which is why it's really going to take up an entire segment. And, and why we brought in help. Yes. Help. Rod, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thank you. Nice to be back. Yeah. We're going to lean on on you here in just a bit to talk about a movie that, that came out previously, but I don't think very many people saw. So we want to talk about it for sure mm-hmm. because it's an important topic and uh, it's a movie based on an important figure in American history. For sure. But first we're going to talk about a movie based on an important character in history, yeah. just not as right. revered or and good or It's kind nice of a satirical, or... farcical version of history and it's the film Jojo Rabbit. Directed by Taika Waititi. Great title, and it's really a great movie. It's based on a novel uh, called Caging Skies by Christine Lunens. Jojo Rabbit takes place during World War II, if you're not familiar with the story already. And it's about this little boy who is a big fan of Adolf Hitler, right? In fact, Hitler is actually his imaginary friend as well. And Hitler is played by Taika Waititi. Who always puts himself in his films. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, so Jojo attends a Hitler youth camp, and he's sent home a little prematurely when he has this serious injury, although the serious injury is done in a comical way. I'll just say that. And now that he's spending less time blowing stuff up, as we heard Sam Rockwell say, he's the the uh, camp captain of Klenzendorf. He now has more time to spend at home with his mom. And it uh, it's not long before he discovers that his mom is actually hiding a young Jewish girl in their home. Uh-oh. And so Jojo starts struggling with, in his mind, the impossible choice of, do I turn this girl over to the authorities, which would mean big trouble for his mom and possibly himself as well? Or can he learn to live with this reprehensible creature, yeah. right? And uh, the little girl that that is being hidden in the home is played by the actress Thomasin McKenzie, who just has this crackly, fragile voice that is just going to melt your heart. She is quite good in it, as is Roman Griffin Davis, who plays the titular Jojo. And uh, I was surprised at how good Scarlett Johansson was in this. I shouldn't say I don't think she's a good actress, but I didn't go into this thinking Scarlett Johansson's going to get an Oscar nomination for this black comedy, Jojo yeah. Rabbit. And I wouldn't be surprised now if she did. Wow. I would also love to see Thomason McKenzie get an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell is kind of reinventing himself. He's always played the villain. He's kind of reinventing himself as... The good guy. So whether you're seeing him as as the good guy or the bad guy, Sam Rockwell is an actor that you either love to hate or love to love. And in this movie, you are going to love him. Um, the film is so sweet. It is so funny. And it's so ridiculous that you're almost surprised when later in the movie it takes a more serious turn. So uh, it is a Which, dark comedy, yeah. but it it's also – a movie about World War II. So there are going to be some heavy themes in here that you might not see coming. Yeah, not take as normal fare. Like, he has very easy, very fun to laugh along with movies. Yeah. And the the consistent feedback I've gotten about this movie, because I'm, I still have not seen it and I really, really want to, is 
it's not just another Taika movie. Like, he, he made a capital M movie this time around. Right. You watch it and you do think, okay, this is Taika going for an Oscar. And I do predict he'll at least get a Best uh, Adapted Screenplay Oscar nomination. Yeah. A comedy about Hitler. You know, it, I when I was thinking about this and then I, I remembered Mel Brooks making Springtime for Hitler ages mm-hmm. ago. He had an interesting quote um, back then that, he, I, that I found that he gave to his German newspaper. So this is an English translation. Hopefully it's correct. By using the medium of comedy, we can try to rob Hitler of his posthumous power and myths. And that's really what Taika does in this movie. Yeah. It strips him down and it makes him look like a buffoon. And that's that's one of the ways that I think he's found to to beat, if you will, mm-hmm. Hitler. Yeah. To yeah. to move through move past some of that pain that people still probably feel today. And it's interesting that you mentioned Mel Brooks and I mentioned Oscar nominations because Mel Brooks actually won the Oscar for best original screenplay for the producers. So it's been done there you go. before, decades yeah. ago, yeah. too. Yeah. So I've got an enjoyable movie in a slightly different way. Is it going to win an Oscar? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun, and the soundtrack is the best part. Whoa! <gasps> you! Again. What do you mean again? Did you follow me here? Are elves always so cynical? Yes. Relentlessly, these are dark times. I'm Tom. Kate. This is Last Christmas, based on the song by George Michael and Wham. Yes. Because if you thought that there was not going to be George Michael throughout this well, entire thing, and if you guessed... As soon as you the, hear the title, yeah, that's what's in your head. The over or under for how many times Last Christmas would play in one iteration or another, it, I had in my mind was about five, and it went way over. Like, it is just... <laughs> it is calm, And it's part of the plot of the movie, how often just... George Michael and Last Christmas are playing throughout just this entire movie. It's so enjoyable. It's it's your typical – it is a big budget theatrical. You can go to a movie theater and see it on a big screen Hallmark Christmas movie with Amelia Clark. And- but is she really going to take his heart away? Like the lyrics are going through my head here. It, this better have a happy ending, Cole. Well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay, Amelia Clark and Henry Golding do have an amazing <laughs> chemistry between this, and he, that man has now made a living on being the nice, really handsome guy after Crazy Rich Asians, and now this. <laughs> um, he he just does an amazing job at taking this girl who has kind of lost her way. It, she hasn't become bitter to Christmas per se in the stereotypical way, but she is just a little bit lost from where she used to be and he helps her turn it all around and love the spirit of giving and Christmas and there's a happy ending. It may not be the happy ending, but it's a happy ending. I've, is, only, I've only seen the trailer. Did she work at one of those year-round Christmas stores or something? She does, as an elf. I've always found those stores to be so bizarre. Sorry, now, Jeff. I heard she, uh, she accidentally had a Starbucks cup uh, on screen during one scene. Um... Maybe, maybe was it was different? maybe it was bringing it from this set to the Game of Thrones set that got her in trouble. Oh, that poor girl! We're done. We're done with Game of Thrones. It's fine. <laughs> it's over now. I don't have to remember. How okay, so bad it was. we talked about a a semi true story. We talked about a not true at all story. But now we've got a story that is a little more true to life than the movies we've talked about so far. Yeah, right, Rod? And the, yes. And this is the movie is called Harriet. And this is a film about Harriet Tubman, who I must completely admit, I'd never heard really of Harriet Tubman until this movie came along. But Rod is really, Canadian. Yeah, Rod is Canadian. Sorry. So this one was not <laughs> You're in sorry my... for being Canadian or sorry ah. that... <laughs> no, we're just sorry okay. for everything, Okay, Jeff. It's the number one word in our dictionary. You open it up. Canadian dictionary starts with S. Um, Harriet Tubman, what an interesting movie know, this is. extraordinary this is, but you have made it 100 miles to freedom all by yourself. Would you like to pick a new name? To mark your freedom. Harriet Tubman. If I'm free, my family should be too. I made up my mind, I'm going back. You're confident, composed, when trouble comes. You'll be ready. Papers. Says here you're five and a half feet tall. You ain't more than five feet. Must have won my high boots that day. Why you back here? It ain't safe. Come get you. 
bring all of you to freedom. Do you know what would happen if you got caught? You got lucky, Harriet. I made a diss for all my own. So don't you tell me what I can't do. This tells you about how this woman, who uh, she was, she was a slave, and she married a free man, but she still was really not ever allowed to engage into this marriage because her owner or master, if you will, said that, you know, he obviously had all the usual restrictions and everything that they put upon these people. So she finally gets to the point, though, where after the the owner dies, there was a promise that was made that her and her sister and the rest of her family would, would eventually gain freedom. Well, the owner's son says, no, that ain't going to happen. So mm. she determines that she needs to leave. And what she wants to do, though, is she wants to get out and figure out how she can get the rest of her family to freedom as well. So she ends up winding, ends up going on this hundred-mile journey, if you can imagine, through the woods and everything else, evading dogs and, and everybody Jeez. else is after her. And there's a huge warrant out for her and everything. She eventually makes her way to Philadelphia, and there uh, she meets a man that she that inspires her. He's running a basically a, a safe house for these escaped mm-hmm. slaves and then she he inspires her to, that she should be able to go back and start using the underground railroad and freeing more people including her family but many others now there's various accounts of how many people in reality that she saved it it sounds like it, some of the accounts may be somewhat exaggerated but historically they've been able to track down at least 70 people but even more importantly Harriet is a movie that is really about the power of an individual who so many of us would think, how could she possibly have changed things? And yet she does. She's a woman. She's black. She's a slave. Like there was no lower order that you could have at that time. And yet she did so much. Really amazing film. Now, the story is great. Looking at it from a filmmaking role, though, what I really appreciate, this is one of those movies that was made for about $18 million. And if you know anything about Hollywood, that that, That's bu- nothing. that buys a nice lunch for your friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and yet this film, as I watch it, I could tell, okay, there wasn't a lot of money here, but boy, they used every dollar the best they could. And you can tell these people are wholly engaged in, in the movie that they're making because of the message that it has. So it's a very it's a very good film. It's a little conventional. It works out the way you might think it would, especially if you understand some of the history behind it. But uh, a really good film. Really enjoyed it. So I... I take back a little bit what I said because it actually made about eleven point seven million dollars mm-hmm. yeah, over did. the weekend. This film's going to pay the bills, That's and it, good. it overperformed. It was originally, I think, forecast to be somewhere in around seven, seven and a half million. And yeah. for an opening weekend, that's just fine because this is the kind of movie that just mm-hmm. stays in theaters, yeah. right? The the fans of Harriet aren't the ones rushing out on opening weekend, so no one spoils the ending for them, right? Yeah. This is just a movie that can stick around. That. If you have free time here, it'll still be there in Thanksgiving weekend, right? Take yeah. your family, yeah. go see yeah, it. Exactly. Get a little bit of education. And speaking of the family as well, this is a PG-13 movie. One of the things that Harriet was known for was she wasn't afraid to use a pistol, um, which was, mm. again, very unconventional. This is the part of the history then. that I did not learn in my American school yeah. is how much of a superhero that Harriet <laughs> yeah, Tubman she, was. She was. She was. But the movie doesn't play that up more than it needed to. And so, you know, I would say 10 and over on this film, parents, go with your kids, talk to them about it, learn about the history afterward. Yeah. Well, we've got another movie that's based on a true story. The Japanese are planning something bigger. So what's the target? We believe it's Midway. Washington disagrees. Washington is wrong. We lose. And Japanese on the West Coast. Yeah, this is based on the Battle of Midway that that comes after Pearl Harbor. So, um, like I said, based on a true story, actual people, actual events. And uh, as opposed to that other Pearl Harbor movie by a big action director. So this is (laughs) Michael Bay has had his turn at Pearl Harbor. This is Roland Emmerich's turn. On Midway. Right. And the movie does start out at Pearl Harbor with that uh, invasion there. 
And I was a little disappointed. I mean, not with the outcome of Pearl Harbor because we know <laughs> how that panned out, right? <laughs> but the the problem is that it it I felt like I was watching a movie that the CGI hadn't been finished yet. And oh. so it looked a little it looked looked a little cheaply made at the beginning. The other action sequences throughout the movie are are much better and you know, Roland Emmerich who did Independence Day, he did Godzilla, The Day After Tomorrow. He he knows his way around an action movie set, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not going to disappoint in terms of action sequences and just putting on a big spectacle, right? He knows how to do that. Something I've yet to see from a Roland Emmerich film, maybe with the exception of Independence Day, is a really good script. You know, uh, Independence Day... Some of the the plot holes or lesser parts of that movie can be forgiven because the cast is so darn likable. Right. And, you know, Will Smith yeah. in his heyday. Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Jeff Goldblum. Nobody hates yes. Jeff Goldblum, yeah. right? Um, this cast I kind of felt like was a little a little bland. And to be honest with you, I felt like I was watching, speaking of the script, I felt like I was watching a film that was written by a history teacher who happens to be a huge fan of war movies because mm. you have a lot of the historical uh, plot points in there that you need to to do a movie of this scale and about midway. Um, but it's just, it's also full of war movie tropes and dialogue. So there's the newlywed who can't wait to get home to his pregnant wife. You know what's going to happen to him, right? You've got the rogue pilot who doesn't care if he lives or dies. You've got the 11th hour speech that inspires a reluctant pilot to get back out there and fight. And you've got the eccentric with a bunch of crazy ideas that just might work, right? (laughs) They're all in there. All the things that you know and love from every other war movie, they're all in there. Um, Yeah, I... I felt a little foolish when I went outside of the movie theater and told the marketing person what I thought of the film. And I immediately caught my mistake when I said, I didn't care for the story. And then I said, wait a minute. The, the, the story is the story, right? Yeah. We know that this really happened. Wow. But I just – I didn't care for the script and the dialogue and, and maybe even some of the casting. So – don't go seeing this movie expecting to see the greatest, most accurate or entertaining film about World War II. There are many other films that have been made about World War II that uh, are much better. Jojo Rabbit might not be as historically accurate <laughs> as Midway, not. but you will be more entertained and touched and moved by Jojo Rabbit than you will Midway. I wonder. Sure. I wonder if part of the problem when Dunkirk came out a couple of years ago— I remember thinking, I'm really glad I understand the history behind this because there's no history lesson in that movie. Boom, you're in. And if you don't know the context, you really lose appreciation for the movie. And I think there's this need where they feel like, we got to give you the history lesson or you're not going to get what's going on. I mean, Midway is starting to become ancient history. And to be honest with you, I I thought of Dunkirk while watching this because although Roland Emmerich knows how to do spectacle— He doesn't quite know how to do suspense. And I was on the edge of my seat for the entirety of Dunkirk. Dunkirk, oh yeah. And even though you're just getting little snippets of these characters that you don't get much character development, um, you care more about the characters in Dunkirk than you do in uh, Midway, which Which is is unfortunate. Which is unusual if you've got that much exposition. Yeah, Yeah, build it up, yeah. So that's Midway. Cole, we've got another movie that's not based on reality, but it's based on a book at least, right? You're magic, like me. I need you to listen to me. The world's a hungry place. A dark place. I don't know about magic. I I always called it The Shining. soundtrack should certainly be familiar to horror fans because Mm -hmm. Dr. Sleep is the sequel to Stanley Kubrick's 1980 
The Shining. Yes. Horror is in our rearview mirror into the month of November now and moving towards the rest of the fall and Oscar movie season. But horror movies are still around because they're always around. And this is... You know, full disclosure, an R-rated sequel to an R-rated movie based on a R-rated equivalent book by Stephen King. Wait, what's this movie rated again? R. Okay. Just so everyone knows. And But <laughs> it was really very, very good scary. for most of it. Uh, as Stephen King might be known for nowadays, especially after they poked fun at it in It 2 over and over and over again, he just can't write an ending. And even though the ending diverges from the ending from the book the ending still is just not satisfying this movie was trying to be a sequel to a really really good movie also adapt (laughs) a book and also be a sequel to a book that the author didn't originally really love the original adaptation to it hmm so he, they have to they have to have their hands doing twister like covering all the different dots and at some point it kind of all comes crashing down i think that's towards the end but for the middle chunk this movie really does tell the story of a grown up danny torrance who went through that trauma at the overlook hotel early in his little life and what he does with his superpower the shining and this is directed by Mike Flanagan, who's kind of on a roll right now. He can do no wrong, it He's seems. got Oculus and the second Ouija, Origin of Evil, which mm. was much better than it should be, especially considering <laughs> the first one. And also the big Netflix series, House on Haunted Hill. Right. So this is a guy, Cole, I, I mentioned to you frequently that I'm not a huge fan of jump scares. But jump scares can be effective or can be can be good and not just cheap shots when they're done Effectively, and Mike Flanagan knows how to do jump scares, and they're in Doctor Sleep as well. Really, mm. well, okay. Now you've piqued my curiosity because most jump scares now are in the realms of films that are targeting fifteen-year-olds, and I'm just yeah. tired of them. And I don't want to undersell Mike Flanagan. He knows how to do a whole lot more than jump scares. <laughs> yeah. He knows yeah. how to build tension, suspense, and he knows how to present characters that you're actually going to care about. So. He's he as far as horror movies go and as far as movies in generals go he's quite the director. Mm. Yeah, I maybe I jumped too hard on it at first but the middle chunk of this movie where it's really the adaptation of Doctor Sleep and taking all the weird stuff that Stephen King writes into his books and putting it on the screen I think was the best of any Stephen King adaptation that I have ever seen. Wow. And that is saying a lot because wow. I, I have phrase. read a lot of Stephen King books and seen a lot of the movies. He's probably my favorite author if I had to pick one. That's um, pretty amazing, though, when you consider the other directors that have tried their hand at a Stephen King movie with Stanley Kubrick and Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner and also Frank Darabont has done... Three Stephen King movies. He did The Shawshank Redemption. He did The Green Mile, Green Mile. And he did The Mist. Ah, I forgot about The Mist. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of good suspense in this. I think it just eventually gets a little bit out of control. All in all, still a fantastic watch if you're still looking for that horror itch to get scratched just after Halloween. There was a great interview in the Entertainment Weekly. I've often wondered, imagine the pressure for Mike Flanagan. You make this movie and everything else, and he talks about sitting down with Stephen King in a little theater uh, in Bangor, Maine, to watch it for the first time. He says, I spent the whole movie trying not to throw up and staring at my own foot and kind of overanalyzing every single noise he made next to me, meaning King sitting next Mm -hmm. to him. The film ended and the credits came up, And he, Stephen King, leaned over and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you did a beautiful job. And then I just died. (laughs) That would be so nerve wracking. (laughs) I can only imagine. That's scarier than the movie. (laughs) Oh. One more movie we want to talk about today. And once again, this one is based on a true story. And it is such a fun one at that, Cole. the 24 hours of the lawn for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford, Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars in an ugly factory. And, uh, called you fat, sir. We're gonna bury Ferrari at Le Mans. It's Ford, the Ferrari, and Jeff and I went to see it together. We went last night, and there was a... the. 
entire theater was just packed. Yeah, we had to spread ourselves pretty thin to catch all six of these different movies that are coming out this week and next across theaters across America. But this one, Jeff and I both saw and both loved. Yes. Can I speak for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this one comes out the following week, but uh, we... We wanted to squeeze it in because next week we're going to have a lot to talk about as well. And, uh, Cole, what is the story of Ford versus Ferrari? Well, a Ford races a Ferrari in a big race. Uh, the end. Oh, okay. So the Thank Ford, you for not spoiling that's all you need. The Ford exec- <laughs> and one of them wins. The Ford executives are looking to kind of spice up their brand. They've become kind of the boring car in the 1960s because of their very efficient and very money-making assembly line process. Um, but Henry Ford Jr., number two, realized that they just don't have the prestige that he thought that they should have and that he thought that his father had built. And so he looks to shake things up. And so Lee Iacocca, a... An eager little marketing man there working for the Ford company gets the idea of expanding to the racing realm because Ferrari makes cool cars and Ford (laughs) makes lame cars. And so they want to originally buy a Ferrari. Ferrari balks at that and uh, goes with a deal from Fiat instead. And then they decide to race Ferrari and prove that they can make racing cars just as good as Ferrari can. Yeah. And if you've seen the trailers for this, you have to admit that it looks entertaining. It does. And it's even more entertaining than the trailer suggests that it will be. It's directed by James Mangold, who also is, has done quite a few hits. He did uh, a couple of Wolverine movies with Hugh Jackman. And he also worked on another film with Christian Bale called 310 to Yuma, a very exhilarating edge-of-your-seat western that I absolutely love. Yeah. And speaking of Christian Bale, in my mind, Christian Bale makes this movie. He, he plays the... the intrepid young race car driver. Yes, and he, he is the best part about this movie. I would not be surprised if Christian Bale uh, is nominated for either supporting actor, although it should definitely be best actor. Hmm. He is just such an incredible actor, and it's movies like this that really remind you of that fact. And he continues to get Oscar love year after year, it seems. He's won an Oscar before. He won Best Supporting Actor for The Fighter, a David O. Russell film. The movie itself is probably a little longer than it needs to be. And just with every other movie based on a true story, I I wanted to go straight home and see how much of the film was true to life and how much of it was just a fabrication. And there are certain plot points that seem to follow movies of this type that uh, you can probably figure out which ones are manufactured (laughs) and which ones are true. There was the stiff, just always contrarian... Uh, executive up in the Ford company that it was always trying to subvert what Carol Shelby played by Matt Damon and Christian Bale's race car driver were doing. Yeah. Um, just always trying to get in the way. And yeah. yeah, maybe it wasn't totally that evil villainy movie kind of style, but it made for a but great you need movie. that antagonist. <laughs> it's got to be in there. Yeah. Yes. You know something interesting? I read that uh, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt originally were cast in these roles. I would think Brad Pitt would be the Matt Damon role and Tom Cruise would, would be, be the, the Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. I, I, I don't see that as much as I see this because the two of those, those, the two of those actors together are just fantastic. It worked out really, really well. I am looking forward to seeing that. That one's on my list. You know. The It's movies like this that have really restored my faith in the remainder of 2019. I don't feel like I've had a great time at the movies overall in 2019. Then I mm-hmm. saw Jojo Rabbit. Then I saw Ford versus Ferrari. And I'm very much looking forward to Knives Out, which is coming out later this month. And we know why this is the case, too, because they bought them in the years so that the voters in the Oscars and the Broadcast Film Critics Association, sorry, Shameless plug. The <laughs> so we don't forget about the movies that came out earlier in the year. They, they, and that's how come you know so many people will say to me, "How come all the serious movies come out in November and December?" Well, that's why they want and the That's awards. exactly yeah. what we want to talk about when we come up next here in screen cleaning.
Where are you? I know you don't see it, but he has a sweet side. What a rush. You know, Cole, with all of those movies we reviewed, we neglected to mention Playing With Fire. Which There's is, still one more coming out in theaters this right. weekend. There were so many that we could not get to all of them. And unfortunately, it was one of the ones that I'm probably likely to see having young kids myself. John Cena being big, dealing with kids who are little. That's always a funny well to go to. So it doesn't look like anything new. It kind of just looks like the pacifier. Kindergarten cop. Right. So you have this fireman who has to watch these kids, I guess, and and hilarity and mishaps ensue. Oh, boy. John Cena might be able to put out these roaring fires, but he can't handle these little kids that are up to mischief. If you can't handle the heat, get uh, out of the kitchen. Uh, uh-huh. It's also got Keegan-Michael Key and John Leguizamo, so there's going to be some comic relief. John John Cena's kind of redefining himself as this comedy action star, yeah, right? Yeah, be funny too. Good for him. So other than playing with fire, we just wanted to give you a preview of some of the bigger movies that are going to be coming out over the holidays, November and December. And Cole, I know that you're toying with the idea of seeing yet another reboot of a popular franchise. Charlie's Charlie's Angels Angels is coming back to theaters. Folks, this time (laughs) sans Drew Barrymore and everyone else, they've got a new trio. And it is Naomi Scott, who we know this year from Aladdin, Kristen Stewart, and Ellen Balinska. Three new names and young names to the Charlie trio. That's right. It's also written, produced, directed by, and and starring... Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks, who's also kind of redefining herself as more of a behind-the-scenes player. I mean, she continues to act in movies, but Mm -hmm. she's she's doing pretty well for herself. And she worked with Naomi Scott in the Power Rangers movie, which I think is just criminal. Was Naomi Scott in Power Rangers? You bet she was the Pink Ranger. Oh, my goodness. The things you learn on screen cleaning (laughs) that you probably can't do anything with. But uh, there you have it. Also coming out next weekend is actually Ford v. Ferrari, but it already debuted at TIFF earlier in the year. People have seen it. It's fine that we reviewed it. And Cole, I I just – we were in a packed theater last night. I really envision theaters uh, being packed for this movie. This – when I saw this movie, the words that came to mind were crowd-pleasing. More than any other movie that I saw this year, this movie is going to please. It is such an entertaining film. I was in the crowd and I was pleased. So get your tickets early so you don't end up sitting in the front row because being that this is a movie full of fast and loud cars, you do not want to be sitting in the front row for Ford versus Ferrari. Now, how about a, a little bit more of a quiet film, a film that... We're we've are we're kind of revisiting this topic again because last year we had the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor. Now we get the biopic, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Fred Rogers Revenge. Ooh. Right? Electric Boogaloo, I Wouldn't think is that the make a great title. title. <laughs> this time played by Tom Hanks and dramatized a little bit. Uh, going to be the story of a newspaper reporter that goes and talks to Tom Hanks and kind of gets his opinion on what Fred of Fred Rogers and what his life has been up until that point. And it's getting fantastic reviews. Really, how can you not like a movie about Fred Rogers? With Tom Hanks. Right. America's Two Sweethearts. But coming out that weekend that it's going to have to put up a little fight in the box office, Frozen 2. Ooh. We couldn't let it go. Yes. That's the title of it. Frozen 2. No, we won't let it go. There we go. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see if... People are going to be suffering from frozen uh, burnout. Fatigue? No, burnout. It seems frozen burnout, you know. Anyway. It seems like frozen has not left the cultural zeitgeist since it's been it's been since 2013 since right. frozen they, came out. And they really jammed it down our throats Ugh. with not only one princess, but two princesses. And a cute snowman. Come on. Right. And a Broadway musical. And there's there's the musical that you can catch at Disneyland and all the merchandising and all the hol- the holiday specials and shorts. 
So, yeah, do you think we're ready for another frozen coal? I mean, I think little girls are, and they'll fill theaters, and I'm it'll sure be fine. And I will be taking Disney. my kids to see it. In fact, I know I am because I'm going to see it next week with my kids. There you go. So we'll let you know next week what we thought of Frozen 2. And then another film that, that we're actually going to be seeing Tonight, Cole. That comes out right around Thanksgiving. So now we're looking at what you're going to see with your family over the Thanksgiving holiday, a PG-13 movie called Knives Out. Right. So it's interesting, the timing of this film, because a lot of people enjoy Thanksgiving for the food, but a lot of people um, kind of dread Thanksgiving because maybe you're having to spend time with extended family members that maybe you don't get along with very well. And that's kind of at the heart of this murder mystery of family members that, from the trailers, if we are to believe the trailers, these people do not get along. They're probably at the boiling point, and some of that anger and frustration really comes out in the trailer. So I think the timing of this movie is uh, is very interesting. One to take the family to go see. Right. And this is a movie that has a lot of hype. I mean, look at the cast. The cast looks very interesting. You don't necessarily see these people together and think that they're making a movie together, right? Because it's very eclectic. But uh, it's also, it looks like it's going to be a fun Daniel fun Craig time. is bringing... A totally different accent. His Huckleberry to the pl- <laughs> Hound accent, right? And then Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Christopher Plummer shows up as I'm pretty sure the guy that dies. The the patriarch of the family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if the trailers are to be believed, this is just gonna be a flat out fun time. We'll at tell the you movies. about it next week. Right. And uh oh gosh, they are marketing it like a whodunit like you've never seen before and that you're going to be guessing until the end. Oh, I can't wait. So next week we will have reviews for at least Knives Out and Frozen 2 because the week before Thanksgiving is when we will be doing again our big trilogy bracket. There's another bracket coming. We mentioned it earlier in the show. Yeah. Uh, That's something to look forward to. But on the other side of Thanksgiving, Jeff, there will still be movies that rush into theaters in December. The Aeronauts is going to float into theaters. It's a movie about uh, air balloons and uh, hot air balloons and weather. And it stars uh, Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, who are reteaming. They were in The Theory of Everything together. And there's some Oscar buzz around this film. They'll put it out in theaters first, and then a couple weeks later, it'll go to Amazon Prime. So, picky. So if you don't want to spend... $10 per ticket. May just wait a couple of weeks, but it'll still be in time for award season. Because you're going to have to save for. your money because a couple real big <gasps> ones are coming. Jumanji 2, Star yes. Wars 9. Yes. These are the big December movies. Yes. I I was waiting for you to say one of the other big movies was going to be Cats. And, uh, and, and Cats. I don't know if Cats will be getting my money. But Cats, of course, is the big movie version of the phenomenon that is the Broadway musical. running Broadway musical when it left. Yes. Jumanji The Next Level, which is the official title, looks like a lot of fun. You know it's going to be more of the same. It's probably going to be an exact clone of the first one, just with a couple of different people in the cast. You know, and instead of them playing the same characters from the last movie, they're playing different characters, which could be a lot of fun. Right? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. But I think the the appeal to the first Jumanji was that no one expected it to be as good as it was. And now that it's got a big budget sequel coming out right around December trying to fight with Star Wars. So you think it'll suffer from I high think, expectations? Yeah, it's gonna. we're going to see a little regression to the mean in the Jumanji franchise. Okay. Well, another couple of movies that are certainly gunning for Oscars which we'll talk about, I'm sure, more later on the show. Little Women, this is the Greta Gerwig-directed version of Little Women. And I have to admit, this looks pretty good. Like, the casting and the acting in this movie look pretty darn good. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Saoirse Ronan finally gets some Oscar love. She's been nominated a few times, but just from the trailers alone, yeah, give her the Oscar, finally. And, I mean, she's pretty young. She's got her whole career ahead of her. And then uh, 1917, the World War I movie, and this is directed by Sam Mendes, who uh, knows how to do uh, a thrilling, entertaining spectacle. And I'll be honest with you, Jeff, the the non-war fan that I am, 
I got 1917 and Midway confused so many times that it was news <laughs> to me when you told me that the Battle of Midway happened in World War II. Yes. I assumed it was World War One because I just had blended these two movies totally together in my brain. And World War II is going to come up uh, later on in the show when we talk more about Oscars. Any other movies that we're leaving out here, Cole, that people ought to look forward to? Can I just plug Cats one more time? I guess, So Spies in Disguise. If you must. It's an animated movie with Spider-Man mm. and Will Smith there you and go. Reba McIntyre. That will be very interesting. Interesting. Um, she's not just on the soundtrack, but she's in the, the she's vocal in cast? She's in the vocal cast. All right, then. With, uh, DJ Khaled is in the voice cast as well. Okay. Probably have a song. We can only hope that Reba and DJ Khaled will get together for a song. Oh, and Spies Will Smith. Throw Spies. Will Smith in there. Don't forget about him. Be a fantastic. Maybe Tom Holland can rap himself. We will find out in Spies in Disguise. All right. Well, when we return, we've already given you our fall preview. What's coming out in the next couple months in the theaters? But now we want to talk about who might be uh, getting some Oscar buzz in some of these films as well as some others that we didn't mention. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. You need to take better care of yourself. You understand? Everybody has their troubles. And I've had mine. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We talked about the big holiday releases that are coming out the next couple of months. But the other thing that the holidays bring us are all the Oscar Beatty movies. So let's go with the flow and just talk what we think the Oscars will look like. Okay, I'm just going to shoot off some of uh, rapid fire, some of my choices. Not necessarily I think they should win, but I think they'll at least be nominated. Renee Zellweger is going to get a nomination for Judy for playing Judy Garland. Uh, I really hope Christian Bale will get a Best Actor nomination for Ford versus Ferrari. And this is the conversation we kind of held off during our review. I am of the opinion that both Christian Bale and Matt Damon will get nominated for supporting. Once in a while when Which you get is wrong. these like, two, I think they do split the screen time really well in the movies about both of them and their interactions. I think they should both be up for supporting as opposed to one lead, one supporter. I, that's probably how it'll pan out. I don't agree with that, though. Uh, there's a possibility, although probably not because the movie did not do very well. I hope that Brad Pitt gets an Ad Astra nomination because he was fantastic in that. See, and that one's going to get all the sound and technical for sure. awards. Just right. fine. Joaquin Phoenix, I'm sure, will be nominated for Joker. And you saw that movie. Do you think that's warranted? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the thing I don't think is warranted about that movie is being up for an adapted screenplay. It is not based on a single comic book. It's an amalgamation of just the character that exists. I think it should be an original screenplay nom if it gets that nomination. But because it's based on previously created characters, it's probably going to be adapted. I haven't read the bylaws of the Oscars, but it seems <laughs> wrong. Yeah, apparently. Uh, the Oscars haven't either because of that piece of news you shared with us early, Cole. Um, best Supporting Actress. I really hope Scarlett Johansson and Thomason McKenzie from uh, Jojo Rabbit get nominated. Let's just start calling her Scar Jojo. Scar Jojo Rabbit. Scar Jojo Rabbit. Got it. Um, and she's also going to be in a movie that's coming out that has a lot of buzz around it called Marriage Story with Adam Driver about this couple that is in the midst of a divorce and a battle, a custody battle. Those it's are the types of movies that win awards. Noah Baumbach movie. He'll right. get a director nomination for sure. And that one's coming to Netflix if, again, you're looking for things to watch sure. just at home. Uh, there's some buzz around Shia LaBeouf getting nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Honey Boy, which is kind of a semi-autobiographical film that he wrote. And, uh, yeah, he also did a great movie called The Peanut Butter Falcon. Which, I would not mind yeah. any nomination we can get from that movie. I'm not right. sure where it's going to come from, but I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Peanut Butter Falcon. Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, you yeah. go. Um, just really quickly, I don't, I don't necessarily have an opinion as to who will get nominated, but these are movies that are going to come up in the conversation. The Irishman, The Aeronauts. Little Women, 1917, Knives Out, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, The Farewell, 
And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I saw a documentary that was re-released in theaters recently called They Shall Not Grow Old. Now, if you're paying attention to documentaries at all, uh, you'll notice that this movie actually came out last year, bef- uh, last December, I think. However, for some reason, it was not in the running for best documentary. It was disqualified for some reason. So I'm wondering if it could be reconsidered for an Oscar this year, although maybe not if it was actually released in 2018. I think before we do our actual Oscars show, I will sit down and read the Oscars there rules because obviously we need to know. Also, we're we're a family-friendly program, so let's give a little mention to the best animated features of yes. the year. Frozen 2 is still yet to come, but I'm sure we'll get a nomination. We've had Toy Story 4, which is the obligatory Pixar entry into it. And even next week, we're going to have a review from Rod Gustafson coming back again to review the Christmas animated movie coming to Netflix, Claus, Klaus, Klus, Klus. You need to brush up on your German or whatever language. It's Santa Claus with a K. There we go. So, Cole, I'm I'm glad that you brought up the best animated category because that will lead very well into our panning for good segment. There's good in them dire hills. There's a film that came out earlier this year, which is always a bad idea, especially if you're hoping for an Oscar. Because people forgot. Right. And this movie, I think, is deserving of one. It comes from the studio, studio Laika, which is known for doing these stop animation films that are just, I wouldn't say delightful, but they are very well made and quite breathtaking. Uh, Because Coraline, you wouldn't say is a delightful film. It's terrifying, but it is beautiful to look at. This movie is a little lighter than some of the other films that they've released. They did Cujo and they did... um, Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo and the Two Strings. They did Paranorman. And now we have this film called Missing Link. The missing link in this film is voiced by Zach Galifianakis. And the explorer adventurer is voiced by Hugh Jackman. Zoe Saldana also has a role in the film. And it's kind of it kind of makes you think of like around the world in 80 days, just this whimsical adventure where uh, Hugh uh, Hugh Jackman is trying so hard to become a member of this adventure society. They want nothing to do with him, but they've made this deal that if he can find this missing link, then that will ensure his membership into this very elite group. Which they think is a wild goose chase, but it turns out he's real. He finds Sasquatch and he tries to take him back to his people. They develop a wonderful friendship and it really is a beautiful movie. Well, that's I'm not saying I hope it wins, but it certainly should be nominated for Best Animated Feature. I'm with you. That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Next week on the show, Cole and I are going to be previewing some of the new streaming series that are out on Apple TV and on Disney+. Plus. It's finally here. Oh, my goodness. I, signed, I feel like I signed up years ago, Cole, and we finally get to watch these shows. That's all up next on Screen Cleaning. And uh, you can catch us each and every week at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, right here on BYU Radio.